This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 221. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Another part of that network is our Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast. If you haven't checked that out in a while, or if you haven't yet to check it, or if you have yet to mention it to your wife or significant other, head on over and check out the Not Your Average Gun Girls podcast. I am Riley Bowman, the host of the Concealed Carry podcast, joined today by Matthew Marister. What's up, dude? Hey, Riley, and hey, everybody listening. <laughs> we have got some awesome stories to share with the listeners today. We've got a story about a guy that tried to buy an iPhone on Facebook. It went poorly. We have a story about a guy who was assaulted and he drew his gun. It also went poorly for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got a story about banks that don't like the gun industry and they're trying to they're doing everything they can to make it difficult to do business. We have Shocking. state governments getting involved that are both in support of that ideology. And we have states that are like, hmm, maybe this is not a good thing. And then we've got an ammunition company that I'm looking forward to highlighting and giving them some mad props. And we're going to come see you here in a few days at the NRA annual meeting. So, And I'm going to shake your hands personally and say, bravo. And I'm looking forward to talking about that as well. So, hey, everybody joining us on Facebook, Trey and Jason, thank you so much for checking in. Today's episode is going to be a good one. I know it. Matthew's got to take off uh, probably a little bit early is going to be my guest. I might be wrapping this up by by myself. We'll see. We'll move right (laughs) along. Today's episode sponsors are, first of all, Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. Please go check it out one major bonus for being a member of Guardian Nation, not only will you get 10% off of everything that we sell, including our firearms courses, but we also you also will get, upon your year anniversary of being a member, a $100 gift certificate towards any of our training courses. We've got a live fire training course, a three-day defensive handgun course that I'm calling now the Triple Guardian. Uh, because it is, a, a, it's a, this is part of our new Guardian curriculum. We have Guardian Essentials Pistol, a one-day course, where you're going to learn all the essential fundamentals to defensive shooting in one day. Follow that up on day two with Guardian Standards Pistol, and that's really meant to take those essential skills and fundamentals and get them to a a, a very you know a good level of proficiency to where you can perform basic standard operations that I think are are critical to self defense, and then follow that up with day three of Guardian Breakthrough Pistol, where that is intended to to sort of prep you for the next level and and, and really get you uh, a good start to getting there. Where what I oftentimes see with shooters is they, they tend to plateau at some point and. Day three is intended to really break through that plateau, hence the name Breakthrough. And there you go. Three days of awesome, intensive handgun training, defensive pistol in Denver, Colorado, May 17th through the 19th. Some of you, if you have uh, gift certificates, uh, you've already hit that one-year anniversary, come and join us. All right? Uh, or if you join Guardian Nation today, you'll get 10% off. And it's still going to be fantastic quality, low-cost training. 
Each one of those courses individually is $250, I think, per course. Do all three together. And you do need to do one before you do two and before you do three. Do all three together, 500 bucks. Yeah. Seriously, it's a good deal. And guess what? I'll be there teaching that. Jacob will be there, and Matthew will be joining us as well. Matthew, we're flying him in from Ohio to teach those three days with us. So you guys want to come hang out with us three days, uh, meals provided, drinks, water, all that's provided. Bring a gun, bring a holster, bring some mags, bring some mag pouches, bring some ammo. Lots of it. Yeah. You'll need (laughs) about, uh, you you probably want to bring about 1,500 rounds just to be safe. Uh, probably go through more like a, like 1200 rounds, but I would bring about 1500. And if you need to purchase some, when you get here, give us a heads up. We can, we can facilitate that. Okay. So, um, yeah, there you go. And also I want to mention, this is kind of an unofficial sponsor, but I'm just giving them some mad props and want to get the word out. National train a teacher day, national train a teacher day.com. Head on over there. See what they got going on. Clip macro from trigger pressers union. I'm sporting his hat. Check us out. New hat. Bam. Uh, he is behind the effort to organize National Train a Teacher Day, and we we are participating in that. We have two spots, $500 a piece, two spots reserved in that three in that Triple Guardian three-day course. That's for, a cool, for educators. cool deal. Yeah. So um, head on over to nationaltrainateacherday.com. If you're an instructor, find out how to get involved. Uh it's on uh, May 19th is National Train and Teacher Day. That's the actual day. And that's the third day of that three-day course we got going on. All right. So because we do need to move on, I am now going to head on over to get our Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week from Attorney Andrew Branca fired up here. You guys ready for Case of the Week? Yeah, I am. This is a really good one. Here we go. Okay, it didn't play. <laughs> Take two. (laughs) Thanks, Concealed Carry Podcast, for having me back on for another Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for LawofSelfDefense.com. This Case of the Week is provided for educational purposes only. This week's Case of the Week is Rankin v. Commonwealth in a decision handed down by the Virginia Court of Appeals on April 24, 2018. It involves issues around the legal hoops that must be jumped through in order to have a use-of-force expert witness testify on your behalf in a self-defense trial. And what happens if those hoops are not jumped through? This case involves a Virginia police officer who confronted a non-compliant shoplifting suspect. The officer physically struggled with the suspect, then unsuccessfully deployed his taser, and finally drew his firearm and ordered the suspect to the ground. The suspect instead made a quick and aggressive gesture toward the officer who fired twice, killing the suspect. The officer was charged with first-degree murder and brought to trial. The jury found him guilty of voluntary manslaughter, and the officer was sentenced to two and a half years in prison. The officer appeals his conviction in part because of the denial by the trial court to allow certain testimony from a use-of-force expert witness that the defendant sought to have testify on his behalf to help explain to the jury why the officer's use-of-force decisions, particularly the firing of the handgun, were reasonable under the circumstances. 
Now, many folks seem to believe that an expert witness can be brought into court to testify on behalf of the defendant anytime the defendant wants such an expert witness. Unfortunately, that belief is mistaken. There are very particular hoops that must be jumped through before an expert witness will be allowed to testify before the jury. Further, deciding whether or not those hoops have been jumped through is almost entirely at the discretion of the trial judge. An appellate court will almost never overturn a verdict based on such an evidentiary ruling by the trial judge. Let's take a look at three of the hoops that must be jumped through for your use of force expert witness to be able to testify in front of a jury and explain why your use of force decisions and self-defense were reasonable. One is that the knowledge to be addressed by the expert witness is in fact specialized knowledge, knowledge that can be gained only from specialized training or experience. Jurors are presumed to possess common knowledge, so an expert can't testify about that, but jurors are not presumed to possess specialized knowledge. Second, the specialized knowledge has to touch upon some relevant factual issue in dispute, a factual question that matters to the case. After all, the jury's role is to decide precisely those factual issues, so expert testimony is only admissible if it helps them do that. Third, any specialized knowledge to justify the conduct of a defendant, and this is particularly relevant in self-defense cases, must have actually had the potential to influence the defendant's conduct. If the knowledge could not have influenced the defendant's conduct, it's irrelevant to the issue in dispute. At trial, both the officer and his chief testified about their department's use of force policies. This included testimony that the policy provided for two levels of intermediary force, between the use of a taser and the use of a firearm, specifically first hard control techniques such as a baton and defensive tactics maneuvers such as taking the subject to the ground. Now, neither of these intermediary levels of force had been attempted by the officer in this case, and that officer would explain in his own testimony correctly that it was not required that every level of force be attempted and that a police officer is trained to use the level of force that's appropriate to the situation. Now, at this point in the testimony, the officer tried to bring in his use of force expert witness to testify that the officer's conduct was not only consistent with his own department's use of force policies and training, but was also consistent with well-established and widely adopted police training and policies nationally. The trial judge, however, denied the expert witness's testimony on these national use of force policies. Why? Because the trial judge ruled that two of the three hoops had not been jumped through. Now, the first hoop, that the knowledge qualifies as specialized knowledge, not likely to be known to the jury, was certainly met. The jury can't be expected to know police use of force policies in any useful detail. The second condition, that the specialized knowledge touched upon some relevant factual issue in the dispute, was not, however, met. The question for the jury in this case was whether the officer's conduct was consistent with his own department's policies and his own training and experience, and both he and his chief testified on those issues. What other departments might do nationally was meaningless to that question, and thus not useful specialized knowledge for the jury. The third hoop, that specialized knowledge had the potential to influence the officer's conduct, was also not met because there was no evidence introduced at trial that the officer himself actually possessed this knowledge on national use of force policies at the time he killed the suspect. 
Remember, if you want to admit specialized knowledge in court in order to explain to the jury your decision-making in self-defense, you have to be able to document that you actually possessed that knowledge at the time you acted in self-defense and didn't just learn of it later. If you only learned of it later, it could not have influenced your decision-making at the time. The officer appealed his conviction to the Virginia Court of Appeals, which reviewed the trial judge's decision-making and decided the trial judge had acted appropriately in excluding this expert testimony. As a result, the Court of Appeals affirmed the officer's conviction for voluntary manslaughter. To wrap up, getting an expert witness on use of force to testify in front of the jury that your actions in self-defense were reasonable is absolutely awesome and often some of the most compelling testimony a jury will hear in a self-defense case. But you only get that option if you're able to jump through the necessary hoops. And of those hoops, the one you have an opportunity to control today is to document your own specialized knowledge, specialized training and experience as you acquire that knowledge so that you'll be in a position to show that you possessed it at the time you had to defend yourself at some future date. So document your training, folks. That's why virtually every reputable self-defense training organization, including Law of Self-Defense, offers certificates and supporting documentation for just that purpose. If you enjoy this content, I invite you to join us for the Law of Self-Defense live show every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. It's totally free to either participate live or to watch the recording after each show. For more information, point your browser to lawselfdefense.com forward slash show. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. And we're back. Another great case and analysis from attorney Andrew Branca of Law of Self-Defense. A little bit different um, take, I guess, or a little bit different approach. Uh, is a little bit different story or case than some of the others that he has featured. There was two things that I thought were big takeaways from, from this, uh, Matthew. Number one uh, is right in the beginning when he's explaining the situation and what happens with the, with the, with the cop. Okay. Um, the, what we hear is that as he's, you know, attempting to um, uh, affect an arrest or whatever, this guy makes a sudden movement. Now, <laughs> I, I think what I what I took from that is like I understand, like especially I I understand the viewpoint of a cop uh, generally pretty well. I interact with many police officers, and I don't, I'm not a a duty cop that's like out on the streets every day. And, and my my perspective is a little bit different than probably. I mean, Matthew, you were in you know kind of rough part of town and San in the San Diego area in California, and you probably saw a lot of interesting things during your time there. But what I took from that little description is, you know, you've you got to be able to articulate clearly why you escalated, you know, on, on the use of force, uh, continuum. And, uh, you know, I don't feel like that cop had a, a really good explanation as to, to why he did what he did. He tried to come up with some good explanations in this case, you know, highlighted a, you know, a lot of things dealing with uh, expert testimony and expert witnesses. Um, and it clearly didn't end up not working in his favor, but I, th I think we go back and just try to simplify it really well. And we've, we've talked about this in recent 
weeks on the podcast is just the importance and the need for articulating very clearly and understanding why you're doing what you're doing um, and that it and that it is in fact justified. Um, the second thing is he he said document your training and has who listening or watching uh, the podcast has downloaded the latest concealed carry gun tools app. I hope you have because one of the cool things about the app is you can document your training right within the app. And something that I encourage you to do, uh, set it up. It's it's fairly easy to, to do and fairly easy to use. And you can begin documenting. And, and by this, I mean document your training and your practice sessions as well. You can track all that stuff. You go to the range just to practice for an hour or two. You can log in there, the date, time, you know, even weather conditions, how many rounds were fired, which guns were used, you know, different types of drills or targets that were used. So you can document those different things, but you could also document the training courses that you would take and list those as well. So head on over to your app store or play store, you know, Android or Apple and download the concealed carry gun tools app and use that as a tool for tracking your training. For real, the the documentation part of this is huge. Um, It's really probably, and I don't think, in this say, you know, I don't have all the facts, but I don't think in this case that he mentioned, um, it probably would have made a difference. It looks like the problematic thing was, was that he wasn't justified in that, um, aggressive movement shooting him. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't either reasonable or, or whatnot, at least the jury didn't find. So, but as far as documentation is concerned, it's so important because I think maybe three or four podcasts ago, we covered uh, or we were talking about uh, a story. It might have been a case of the week through Andrew Branco, but um, where the person who uses uh, the force or, or the the training uh, that that person has is um, factored into whether or not their actions are justified. I think it was uh, a case where a guy was a boxer. He, he ended up uh, punching a guy a couple times, and, and they said that the first punch was uh, reasonable, but the second one wasn't. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a trained boxer. I'm trained to instinctively you know, throw two left jabs or whatnot. And, and, and they found him guilty. Um, I don't know if it's a manslaughter or whatnot, but in any event, um, you know, I always tell my students and harp on this is that, you know, I ask them, hey, what is force likely to cause death or serious bodily injury? How about, you know, um, strangulation? And sometimes they're thinking, they're like, hmm. I don't know. And, and you know, you got to, you, you have to start understanding when you're training, whether or not it's uh, practice or training or medical training that you get, you understand physiology of humans and you know, if, if, if they are, they're asking, why did you fire so many shots at this guy? Well, I understand that, you know, it takes X amount of minutes for somebody to go into uh, shock from blood loss. And I, I saw this person was, was advancing and none of my shots were having an effect on him. I was hitting him, but he wasn't having an effect mm. and he was still advancing. And I, I continued to, to, to fire because I knew that, you know, um, the, the only way to stop this person was X, Y, Z. And it, so it gives you more ability to articulate and, and it, it, the jury is able to understand where your mindset is um, at that moment because they understand now what you're thinking. And they might not understand that. They might not know about blood loss and they might not know about certain things like that. But the fact that you know at that time 
um, you can make them understand what was in your head. And it might be uh, the difference in them understanding that that was justified or not. So very, very important. I think sometimes people get in the, the habit of, oh, I don't want to document my training because I'm going to be held at a higher level, right. you know, uh, but it's exactly the opposite. So my, my experience just personally, but also from things, you know, cases I've read or studied or different situations and scenarios. I mean, I don't, I think it's always, uh, I, I don't think too much information is ever really a bad thing. Like where a person is more likely to get in trouble with something where it comes to law is not having some sort of documentation or information or something like that. Okay. Like always having like having facts and having things and information and, and and whatever to back things up is i think always unless you're like intentionally trying to break the law that's always i think a better plan than just saying well i'm afraid that that's going to get me in trouble some somehow some way anyway mm-hmm. cool good stuff man um I love this comment, by the way, from Jason. He says, turned your podcast into a radio cast. I'm driving and plugged my phone into the auxiliary cord. Bam. We, this is like a legit radio show now, man. <laughs> Maybe we'll be on Sirius uh, XM you know, here soon. You never know. All right. We got a story here. I teased it earlier. Title of it is "Man Robbed, Assaulted After Pulling Gun." This is from uh, uh, a news site in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay, this is where the story took place in Lincoln. Police are investigating after a 38-year-old said he was assaulted and robbed after pulling a gun during an argument. Number one, I don't think arguments are usually good cause to draw a gun, but <laughs> there's a bigger problem and a lesson learned or to be learned here. Uh, police were called. It was around uh, 2.30 a.m. on Sunday. Um, Lincoln Police Department said the victim reported he was assaulted outside the Midwest African Museum of Art. The man told police his cousin was involved in an argument with a group of people, and he pulled out a gun to get them to leave his cousin alone. Yeah, bro, not cool and not justified. Sorry to say. That's why this isn't in the justified stories. Uh, the victim said one of his one of the suspects punched him in the face. So keep in mind, this is after he drew the gun. And after he fell to the gun, kicked him multiple times. The suspects took the man's gun, his gun holster, and his walking cane. Hmm. That, is an, that is an interesting little tidbit there. So this could be an individual that's not you know, fully physical, physically capable to, you know, like, uh, you know, he's not a hundred percent physically. It, it, it would appear he's got a walking cane apparently. Now that also adds an interesting element to this story because do you think Matthew, that if you were, if this man was to be charged with something, for instance, for illegally, you know, brandishing his weapon, if the state has a brandishment charge or, or, uh, whatever it is, some sort of felony menacing with a firearm, um, do you think a jury would at le- would at least take into consideration the fact that someone is, you know, uh, physically handicapped in some some way? Uh, of course. I mean, yeah. if he's using if he's using the firearm to protect himself, of course. If he's using the firearm on the behalf of it, you know, to protect his cousin, who's you know an able bodied, uh, you know, maybe twenty year old or something, it, it might not. It might be more problematic. But of course, you know, your physical stature, your training, which is like we said, if you're disabled i mean if you're in a wheelchair obviously you're at a disadvantage over somebody else so of course yeah 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 i i agree there's just a lot of really kind of 
weird and nuanced things going on in the story. But I think really at the core of it, I don't think this dude was, I don't think he made the right call in drawing his gun. Mm-hmm. In Both in terms of legally being justified, but also because he wasn't really prepared uh, or capable apparently of using it. Now, then, then, this is another thing. I kind of think that part of the reason he was then assaulted and then they took his gun was because he, I, I'd like to think he had some realization that, wait a minute, I can't, shoot this gun because yeah. I, I'm yeah. not legally justified to do so. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he really, I mean, there's all kinds of wrong going on here. Uh, and he brought it upon himself. He drew a gun to keep these guys from bugging his cousin. And then they came after him. He couldn't really fire it, at least not yet. And they took the gun from him. So there are a lot of lessons we learned here, including Let's assume this was a justified situation and the individual, uh, you know, it resulted in a gun take away from the good guy. Like, you've got to be prepared not just to shoot that gun, but you got to be prepared physically with, you know, hand-to-hand self-defense skills if possible as well. There's just a lot of things I could, you know, I, I, there's just a lot of things I think we could pull out of this very simple and brief news story. Yeah, it, totally. I mean, the, the facts aren't aren't great, but... The, the implications that you get from this story are huge. And I mean, it's, it, it, I can't harp on it enough. The gun is not a magic talisman. It doesn't wave away the bad guys. You know, you can't pull it out and hope that it's going to deescalate a situation. Many times it, it only makes it worse. Um, and, and so when you're, when you're going to draw your firearm, it has to be justified you have to have a reason to you know a justified reason to to draw that firearm because if not now you have a a firearm in your hand and you either have to fight this person off with one hand or you're fighting over a firearm i mean i've had so many times the the classic thing someone if you pull a gun on somebody and they know you're not justified to pull it on them they're going to say what are you going to do shoot me and if they continue towards you and you get into a physical confrontation with this person are you going to shoot them just for simply walking towards you and saying, you know, and challenging you to a fight, it's probably not going to be a justified shoot. So yeah, problematic, man. Totally. There you have it. All right. On to the next story. Uh, This is uh, actually a press release from FN America. And uh, they're just excited to share the news that they were recently awarded the golden bullseye award for the FN 509. So big props to FN America uh, for uh, uh, winning this this award. You know, other gun manufacturers and companies with different you know uh, designs in the past have won this. That that are it's 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 thought of as being fairly prestigious in the industry. So uh, the FN five hundred nine it says is NRA Shooting Illustrated's handgun of the year. So props to them. I I've got an FN five hundred nine. Uh, I actually need to send it back to FN, <laughs> or I might buy it. <laughs> Um, uh, so I've run it through its paces. Um, I've shot ton, you know, uh, probably about 700 rounds through it. Um, uh, really, you know, tried to discover any failure points along the way. It's performed admirably and I really like the gun. I really like shooting it. Uh, if I didn't have a P365 now that I'm pretty sure is going to be my EDC for like, I don't know, for the foreseeable future. And if I had some really good reason to justify owning an FN 509, I, I think I'd probably own it. And I'm still very, very <laughs> tempted by it. It's a fantastic firearm. So congrats to them for uh, winning the 2018 Shooting Illustrated Golden Bullseye Handgun of the Year Award. 
It, Riley, is that a double action, single action? No, it's it's a striker no. fired pistol. Oh. Um, so anyone that's familiar with the FNS series of okay. pistols from FN, uh, it's it's very similar. The trigger is similar. It's got some you know there's some minor differences and some tweaks. This is the gun that was inspired by FN America's entry into the modular handgun oh, gotcha. uh, system contract, the MHS contract that of course we know was ultimately awarded to Sig for the P320 con or, you know design. Um, they FN America kind of like Glock took you know with the with the 19x that was that was meant to be Glock's entry as well into that uh, competition. Uh, this was FN's entry and uh, they didn't win, so you know might as well do something with that. It really is a great gun. I uh, from the first time I shot it, I was just really impressed. It has really good natural uh, pointing, like you know it, it you point it and you shoot it. Like that's how I describe it. I'm working on writing up my review on that, and that's basically gonna. That's probably gonna be like the title. The title is like, you know, the perfect point and shoot gun, because like, that's really how I think about it. It 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 just naturally points. You pull the trigger, it goes where you're looking. It's it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, you could do that with a lot of guns. A lot of other guns shoot well like that. This one, for whatever reason, for me personally, just man, I. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's almost like I don't need sights on this gun. Like that's how that's how crazy good it is for whatever it, you know. And I know that thing, guns are different from person to person, right? But for me, it was like I put it in the hand, I pointed it at the, at a point on the target, I pulled the trigger, and like that's exactly where the bullet went. I was like, fetch, you know. And then I did that over and over and over and over again. Point and shoot. It's got cool. a nice trigger too. Speaking of which, you've got a P three sixty five now, don't you, Matthew? I do. Man, so have you yeah. shot it yet? It's right here, yeah. What do you think uh, so far? Very, very nice. Like, surprisingly nice. Uh-huh. Um, c- compared to the 43, even. Um, and, I, I, you know, I typically like locks a lot, as you know. Yeah. Um, but even compared to the 43, I find it's much flatter shooting. Um, yeah, just outside of, you know, capacity and all that. Feels good in the hand. It's just... Uh, I extremely satisfied so far mm. yeah, yeah me too cool man <laughs> keep us posted how that goes for sure all right next up we got a story here from the washington times student launches walkout in support of second amendment to give voice to the other kids this young man i'm sharing my screen for those that are viewing on facebook uh, his name is will riley he is an 18 year old senior from carlsbad high school in carlsbad new mexico and he, after seeing the walkouts for gun control, right, like the, what was it, March for Our Lives and all these, you know, different things that, that have been pushed um, on the pro-gun pro control side, uh, he decided to do something about that. And so he has started a, I would say, his own, it's a movement, okay? And it's called, he's, he has a website called standforthesecond.com. I would encourage all of you to head on over to standforthesecond.com and check him out and, and see what he's got going on. Um, I'm working on uh, getting him lined up for an interview, Matthew. I'll probably just interview him offline. Um, just a, a, a quick little, you know, five, 10 minute interview that will splice into an upcoming episode. Cause I, I want to get, give this young man some support, um, and get the word out about what he's, what he's doing, uh, for our, our young people in America and for the second amendment. Uh, he's a, uh, a fine upstanding young man. 
Very cool. Very cool. And I like the, uh, the picture with, uh, lady Liberty or lady justice right there. Absolutely. Scale, scales of justice there. So, yep. And they're yeah. organizing some, uh, uh, marches or, or, um, whatever, you know, in various, and you can see in the background, he's got a map and I believe those are all, all those pins are marking, uh, places where, you know, he's, be, he, this is a grassroots organization. Okay. So, uh, he's getting set up and getting, you know, student representatives at various schools. And there's a lot of really good stuff happening there. So we'll keep following him and we'll get him on the podcast here soon. Okay. Next up, uh, speaking of students and schools, this is an interesting story. Insurancejournal.com reports a former student expelled after gun arrest, and he then sues Virginia Tech. So this is a former student from Virginia Tech. He was expelled because he was arrested for a gun-related issue, okay, on a gun charge. Uh, He is now suing the school and police officials in federal court, saying that they violated his rights in falsely arresting him and that school officials violated his due due process rights in dismissing him. Police claim they saw, and his name is Young Young Yun Sung Zhao. If it was Japanese, I'd be able to pronounce it perfectly, but it's <laughs> Chinese or something. Uh, Z- the police saw they claim they saw Zhao at a local range shooting a semi-automatic rifle with a thirty-round magazine. Virginia law prohibits non-citizens from having guns with magazines holding more than twenty rounds. That's an interesting law. So any Virginia. Virginians uh, viewing or listening to the podcast today, uh, just something maybe to be aware of. Uh, Anyway, police arrested him. They also searched his room and vehicles. They never found a 30-round magazine, Mm. interestingly. So it sounds like, and a judge has expressed doubt about a conviction, it says. So so they've... I, it appears to me that they've dropped these charges, but in the process of all of this, Zhao is expelled from Virginia Tech. And he says that he's been been profiled, essentially, because the Virginia Tech shooter was Asian, he's Asian, and you know he happens to like guns and shooting. Mm-hmm. Is that the full story, though? Matthew, t- tell us a little bit about this other story from CBSNews.com, and, and then I'll explain kind of where I'm trying to go with this. Yeah, so so I did a little digging, um, and so apparently he was – there's – it's kind of hard because the facts aren't exactly lining up, but apparently he was – he tried to buy 5,000 rounds of ammunition. Um, Is that illegal? And not that I know of. <laughs> no, I don't think so either, but anyway. Still, still okay, still okay, right? Yep. He had a uh, – he purchased a car that was – that looked like a police car with a push bumper on the front. Mm. Is that illegal? I hope not. Cause there's a lot of people no. out there with those. Everybody hates those people. Cause they pull up behind them and they <laughs> think there's a cop there, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so still not illegal. And uh, he was looking at purchasing body armor. Did, I apparently didn't have it purchased yet or was looking at purchasing body armor. Um, still not illegal. So, for me, I mean, well, I, I'll let, I'll defer back over to you. So that's that's apparently what CBS yeah. found, um, and so um, yeah, so yeah. So the reason I wanted to highlight this is because I mean, this is an interesting story. Okay, you got a young man; he's 19 years old. He's a college student at Virginia, Virginia Tech, where we had one of this nation's worst school shootings. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Asian. That shouldn't come into play necessarily. However. 
for some reason, Asians, just this is a straight up fact, are way more likely that, you know, if, you know, when you look at the the percentage of the population that are Asian, right? Okay, so just on a per capita or, or on a ratio, you know, basis of mass shooters and their demographics, their race, for instance, like obviously white males are the number one, like, yeah, like that's most of our mass shooters for whatever reason, okay? White males. Number two are Asians, Asian Americans. And, and a lot greater proportion, right? Because there's far fewer Asian Americans in this country, but there's been, you know, a number of Asian mass shooters. So not saying that should come into play, but that is an interesting little tidbit and it, it is a fact, okay? Uh, we don't see, for whatever reason, a lot of African-American mass shooters. Um, so white males and Asians are like your number two categories of young men that are for whatever reason, more likely to go and commit a mass shooting. So, all right, <clears throat> now I got that out of the way. The reason I wanted to highlight this is because you read one story and it's like, man, this sounds like this guy got gypped. Like, this isn't cool. Like, they saw him with a 30-round mag. They went to arrest him, couldn't find any 30-round mags. I think somebody was mistaken, by the way. I think they saw a 20-round a mag or a 15-round mag or something, and they just thought they didn't know what they were seeing or whatever. Um. So on one hand, you you read that story and you're like, man, poor kid, man, he he really got the shaft. Now you read this other story and he's trying to buy five thousand rounds of ammunition. He's looking into buying body armor. He buys a police style vehicle, uh, and you know, and he's going to the range and he's practicing and stuff. Okay. You read the one story and you're like, boy, something sounds really fishy here. I mean, none of those things are necessarily illegal, but. No mass shooter necessarily broke the law until they actually broke the law by committing the mass shooting, right? So this is all about like we would let we we want to prevent mass shootings from occurring. And if you see something, say something. You know, there's that whole DHS, uh, you know, agency uh, campaign. It's a it's a good campaign. People should speak up when they see something they think is is not right uh, or laws being broken or something. But I bring this up though, Matthew, because I want to highlight how tricky this is, right? Yeah. And, and it goes back, it, it totally underscores law enforcement's difficulty in, in, in doing their job. And uh, if you're not familiar, maybe the layperson isn't familiar, um, uh, fruit of the forbidden tree, right? So the, when, when you're talking about why this might be a problematic um, conviction is that if, it, if your initial evidence or initial reason to detain this person or arrest this person is erroneous or, or um, isn't legal, then even if things down the line become illegal or you, you find illegal activity, a lot of times you're not going to be able to prosecute that because the original arrest or detention was, was problematic. Not all the time, but uh, depending on uh, a lot of times it is. Let's put it that way. So in this case, if their whole reasoning was, hey, we saw a picture of this guy with a 30 round magazine unless they knew he was not a citizen right they True. then technically it wouldn't be illegal to possess that mm -hmm. um and i think there's going to be an argument over well how do you know it's a 30 round magazine there are 10 round magazines that look exactly like 30 round magazines there you know so are you just going to be able to detain and investigate people because they are different 
ethnicity and because you th- believe that they might have something that's illegal, but it is not distinguishable from something that is legal. So I think that's the problem. And, and so, yeah, I totally with you. I mean, we need to um, identify people that might be more prone or, or um, traveling down that road towards doing something um, like a mass shooting, but yeah. it's, but it's, it's incumbent. And that's why our, our legal system and why we always talk about the slippery slope and, and, and um, due process and, and people's rights. I mean, you have to go through a certain, ch- a, a certain chain, a certain checklist to ensure that this isn't acceptable, that the police have to do something more than just see a picture or see somebody with the magazine that looks like a 30 round magazine and, and, and somebody who's a uh, different ethnicity. I'm not saying that, you know, it's not right that they act on, you know, the evidence and, and maybe they said, hey, it's better that we act on it and not get a conviction than not act on it and put it off. But I would imagine they could have surveilled the person a little bit more, gotten more in, in evidence or uh, investigate a little bit more to s- solidify a, a case if they really wanted a conviction. Maybe they didn't want a conviction. Maybe they just wanted to get this gun and this kid, you know, jammed up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, good thoughts, Matthew. And like I said, I just wanted to highlight it because because you can paint two different pictures for every situation a lot of times. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you can make it look like someone's rights are being violated, and perhaps they are. Uh, on the other hand, you can make it look like, hey, this is somebody that maybe was planning something um, and certainly looked very suspicious. Now, maybe didn't break any laws yet, but this is somebody we should be you know kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, I don't know, perhaps right. You know, like these are these are tough. These are tough issues and tough decisions that need to be made. Um, we, we don't know what the, the mindset of this young man, you know, we, we don't know. I, I think one thing that would be interesting and one thing that certainly investigators should do, it be, would be talking to everybody that knew this guy, right? And trying to understand, you know, from friends, family, roommates, you know, that's, that's where I think you get a lot of intelligence as to, is he just, you know, is he just really avid uh, shooter that just likes guns and he doesn't mean any harm? He just, hey, he's going to buy 5,000 rounds because he's going to go take a bunch of training classes this year or he's, or he's just going to go to the range all the time. And guess what? People buy a lot of ammo in bulk because just like you have your Costco membership or your Sam's Club membership, you buy ammo in bulk to save money. Yeah. Right, and I hate the media when they they make it look like well, this. I think there was a story I saw recently. Some story they they were talking about. Some guy had a thousand rounds of ammo, and they made it sound like this big deal. It's like I don't want to say how many, how many rounds of ammo I have. <laughs> <laughs> right, but we have a lot because you buy in bulk because you save. Mm-hmm. No different than buying food. Right. All right. So. I know we're getting close to that time. Maybe we are at that time. You got to take off. But uh, here's our I next. I got a couple moments. Okay. Here's our next story um, from the uh, New York da- Daily News. This is uh, state urges banks, insurers to stop doing business with the gun industry. So this is the which state? Well, no surprise here. Although you might think California, perhaps your second choice would probably be New York. State of New York. Governor Cuomo is the governor there, of course, and he is very anti-gun. He is urging banks and insurance companies in New York to reconsider any ties they have to the gun industry, the Daily News has learned. 
recently we've hi we've highlighted a few banks on this program. Bank of America was one, and uh, let's see, uh, Citibank. Citibank was the other, or Citigroup, whatever. Okay, two banks that have come out with anti-gun policies, basically, and looking at ways they might get involved in this gun control issue. Uh, you know, trying to do something kind of from the private sector of things. Now, I generally support private sector fixing problems in, in this country, in this in this government, because I think that's usually more effective sometimes than than the government trying to fix stuff. Usually, government breaks things. But uh, but when it comes to the Second Amendment, when we talk about like major fundamental Bill of Rights type issues, that's probably not one place I I want to see private industry really getting involved because those are basic rights that should just be simply protected. Yeah, this instead, is the second amendment is under attack. It's just disgusting, Riley. It's this, this, this is the, I mean, I, I don't care if somebody doesn't want, doesn't like guns and they don't want to, they want to boycott Ruger. Or they don't want to buy something from them or they don't like the NRA and they don't buy a membership. I'm totally fine with that. Stand outside the, the, you know, they're, they're, uh, their business headquarters and protest till your lungs, you know, collapse. I don't care, but government, you know, trying to determine what put their finger on the, on the balance on the scale and, and figure out, okay, who do we like and who do we want to succeed? And yeah. it's based on anything, whether it's based on religion, race, whether they sell a gun or whether they sell a car, whether they sell, um, you know, it, 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 whatever it's, it's terrible. It's just, it, it's just disgusting use yep. of power and abuse of power. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of like, okay, stop fear mongering the, the, you know, they'll never do away with the second amendment. And you guys are just, you know, trying to rally up the base and all this stuff. And I'm telling you, this is the stuff that you need to be worried about. It's not repealing the second amendment. It's it's not going to happen, um, you know. I'm not. I don't have it's a crystal ball, but that's really not sure. likely, of course. Um, yeah. But this is the kind of stuff that is going to to just destroy the ability for somebody to properly uh, to to carry a firearm to protect themselves because it's a, it's a chain reaction, and it's just it's so disgusting yep. to me. I just hate stuff like this. I mean, the, the, this they they. The the uh, the message or the statement from the New York State Department of Financial Services superintendent says the tragic devastation devastation caused by gun violence that we have re regrettably been increasingly witnessing in public is a public safety and health issue that should no longer be tolerated. The public. Um, they go on to say, undoubtedly, will be an increasing public backlash against the NRA and the gun industry. Yep. So th th they're basically blaming people that had nothing to do other than producing a legally a legal product and, yep. and they're blaming those people and trying to ride them out of business po point blank i mean yep. there's no other way you can this read is it. all part of the propaganda campaign to paint the nra and the gun industry in general gun owners as well as evil that's what this is that's that's all this can be there's nothing being done that's illegal but you know the NRA is not an not an illegal or an illicit organization. They're completely allowed to operate, to lobby, to do all those things that the NRA does. But they're being painted as being evil because this this is this really got me, uh, Matthew, in two two paragraphs up where it says letters in letters to be sent early as early as Wednesday, 
tomorrow. So we're reporting this before the supposedly this is going to happen, I guess. The state's top financial services regulator, that would be this superintendent, Maria Vulo or Vuyo, I don't know. It's two L's and it sounds like it might be Spanish. I don't know. <laughs> um, she she is sending this letter saying, warning banks and insurers of the reputational risk they incur by doing business with the NRA and the gun industry. Reputational risk? Terrible. And what business does the does the state of New York have to get in involved in that? Repu- who what? I, Terrible. I, I mean, it makes it. It sounds like a threat from a state government, from a state official, saying your reputation as a bank and as a business is at risk as it relates to state regulators if mm-hmm. you continue to do business with these organizations and, and companies. So it behooves you not to do business with them. That's exactly what it says, right? I mean, there's no way to... to yep. And exactly, you know, you, you mentioned something that was really important, uh, Riley, is that you said they're not demonizing... Uh, something that's illegal because they know that they can't, right? What they're doing is they're changing the way people see and turn guns and and gun owners into immoral people. And if you can just, if, if you can ride out people um, that you believe are immoral or unethical or whatever um, without any due process or without any law legislation, then basically if you're empowered, you can determine whatever you want. I mean, you don't have to pass a law. You just, you just slowly determine, you know what? We don't like Asian people. And eventually we're going to paint these people as immoral people, you know? And so eventually people start saying, well, you don't want to do business with Asian people because of the reputation that your business could, it's, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And it's totally against everything that our country is is based on so it's just disgusting to me Uh, this is a big deal because this is the state of new york now while that might not come as a surprise to many people right because it's new york and you might not think well okay that might not necessarily affect me out in oklahoma or colorado or idaho or wherever right however how many banks are based in new york tons I, I just did a quick search, and and there are tons and tons and tons. There's dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of banks that are based in New York that you might very well bank, you know, and not realize some of these things, some of these issues that might affect you, or you might have other financial uh, uh, assets or you know other other things going on that behind the scenes you might not realize are actually. You're going to be affected by something like this potentially. So the state of New York, even though it's one state, it has a great deal. It's got New York City. It's got Wall Street, man. It has a great deal of power and influence over banks that are based there especially. And so this is a big deal. This is a problem. This is one state, one terrible, you know, tyrannical state as as the way I see this that has may have a great impact potentially on each of us, no matter where we are at here in the United States of America. Matthew's got to run. Man, I'm sorry to see you go, and I'm sorry we couldn't get through this a little bit quicker or get the – we got started a little bit late today, uh, and we got we to gotta send him off. He's got to pick up, like, his daughter at school or something. You know, like, that's yeah, kind of a big something. deal. 
I can't leave her there, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. I'll wrap this up. It'll just be me. I'm going to need the Facebook uh, viewers' help, though. Like They they need to like step up to the plate and send more questions and comments and and opinions of their own. So I've got, you know, it's not just me talking the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad thing. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. We'll see you, bro. All right. God bless. So related to this story, um, so we, we talked about Citibank, we talked about uh, Bank of America as being two two banks that are potentially going to you know look at policies that they might change that impacts us as Americans through through you know not allowing or making it difficult for gun businesses, gun related businesses to do business. Right, so that's a problem. Uh, Wells Fargo, by the way, was one that we featured I think last week and and pointed out that they actually. Uh, they they issued a statement saying we're not going to get involved in this political stuff. Like we don't care. Like you know whatever. Okay, so we appreciate them for that. Um, we've got state governments now getting involved. Okay, Hornady has responded to this attack on the Second Amendment by issuing a statement, and this is right directly on the on Hornady's Facebook page, and they. I'm copying and pasting this for our Facebook folks. They said, who does Governor Andrew Cuomo think he is telling New York banks and insurers to blackball the gun and ammo industry? Steve Hornady, president of Hornady Manufacturing, responded. And by the way, Steve's a great guy. Uh, He said, the state of New York did one of the most despicable acts ever perpetuated by any state by asking New York banks, financial institutions, and insurance companies to stop doing business with the gun and ammo industry. While it may not make a difference to New York, Hornady will not knowingly allow our ammunition to be sold to the government of the state of New York or any New York state agencies. Their actions are a blatant and disgusting abuse of office, and we won't be associated with a government that acts like that. They should be ashamed. Wow. That's quite a statement. It's direct, it's to the point, and it leaves no questions unanswered in that regard. So I I applaud Hornady for stepping up to the plate and responding in this way, making it very clear and apparent that they will not do business with the state of New York or any agency within it because of this despicable policy and and uh, attack that the state has issued against the Second Amendment and gun-related businesses. One thing I would just add that I would comment on uh, here is one of the first comments on this statement on Hornady's Facebook page uh, is from a guy named Neil, and he says, Now, if only Federal, Winchester, and Remington will do the same with their ammo, cut off the supply to New York agencies. Now, while I think that's, like, I, I, I understand the sentiment there. Like, I go, yeah, let's stick it to them. You know, like, we really need to make New York pay. And maybe if all these gun and you know businesses and ammo companies all you know jumped on board like that and refused to do business with the state of New York and with their police agencies maybe that would wake up governor cuomo and his administration to realize the mistake they've made and to retract uh, uh you know the, the mistake i understand the sentiment and there's a part of me that goes yeah however i am just going to point out is it okay for us to penalize 
and to pot- potentially hurt or put at risk law enforcement officers in the state of New York because of something that those that are way above them, way above their pay grade, is it fair to penalize those guys out on the street, guys and gals, out on the streets that are working hard, trying to keep people safe, serving and protecting their communities, um, and just trying to make it safely back home to their families each night? I, I, I just, I, there's a part of me that feels like we have to be careful here, okay? Because that is a little bit of a concern of mine, that we, we, we may think that we're sticking it to the state of New York and, the, and Governor Cuomo, but who's going to pay the price potentially if suddenly agencies can't buy ammunition for their police officers? And it's, those, it's the police officers themselves, meaning they either are going to have to bear the burden of buying those things themselves, uh, or they're not going to be able to get access to some of the best products on the market. And both of those are a concern. So I don't know what to say to, you know, beyond that. Just when we, when, we, when we talk about boycotts or other things like this, uh, we, we got to be willing at least to look at potential uh, consequences that might result from that that are unintended. And that is one that it just needs to be considered. Now, while New York is doing some despicable things, the state of Louisiana is on a different side of the issue. At least the state bond commission is. This is this is interesting to me. First of all, who the heck is the state bond commission, right? Like like nobody probably even cares, right? But uh, this story on usnews.com reports anger over banks gun policies snags a 600 million road plan. Hmm. Okay, what's this about? In Baton, Re- Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Louisiana's plans to finance about $600 million in interstate projects got tangled up Thursday in a dispute over moves by two banking giants to restrict gun sales by their business customers. Whoa. The State Bond Commission, which regulates the road work financing plans, disagreed about how and if Louisiana should retaliate against Citigroup and Bank of America for their firearm restriction policies. Quoting Treasurer John Schroeder, the Republican who chairs the commission, he said, Do I, as your state treasurer, want to do business with companies that impose these kinds of policies? And the answer to me was clearly no. The quarrel didn't derail plans to jumpstart the projects. A widening of Interstate 10 in Baton Rouge, a new exit from Interstate 20 into Barksdale Air Force Base, and an I-10 interchange to serve a new terminal at the New Orleans airport. That's needed, by the way. I've been there, and that's needed. Louisiana will use federal construction bonds, repaid over 12 years with federal highway dollars. So it it didn't actually hold any of this up from from getting through, but it's it's something that they debated about. And I I applaud them for at least having that conversation because, you know, on the one hand, you've got Citigroup and Bank of America saying, we're going to make things difficult for gun-related businesses. You got the state of New York that says, yeah, we support that. And not only that, but we're going to encourage all other banks and other in, and financial institutions to get on board with that as well. Then you got the state of Louisiana that says, guys, are we sure we want to do business with Citigroup and Bank of America and any other business like this that is making a completely legitimate and legal industry evil, out to be evil? So I applaud Treasurer John Schroeder. Um, and the State Bond Commission for at least taking a hard look at that. 
Moving on. This is an interesting article. It's fairly lengthy. It'll take you some time to get through it. On phillyvoice.com, the author is Connie, Connie Hassett Walker. Apparently, she works for Keene University. And uh, she starts right out and makes it clear that she is a, uh, what was it, a crime, let's see, da, 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 criminal justice researcher. All right. So she's, so Connie Hassett Walker of Keene University is a criminal justice researcher. She writes a pretty intriguing article here. She talks about how in 2011, she found herself watching a YouTube video of a gun owner making a semi-automatic rifle discharge bullets rapidly as if it were an automatic weapon. Her husband, she says, my husband, a gun owner, watched firearm videos like this one, but I had never seen one. Intrigued, I sat down on the couch to absorb the imagery. Hooking his thumb through his pants belt loop, the YouTuber demonstrated how pushing the gun forward rather than pulling the trigger allowed the gun's recoil to keep the gun going. In other words, he was bump firing his rifle. Yeah, without a bump stock. Then she says, I'm a criminal justice researcher. At the time, a flurry of thoughts popped into my mind. Aren't citizens forbidden to own automatic weapons? That's actually not true. They can. There's just a lot of hoops they have to jump through. Then she asks, is it legal to make a video of a semi-automatic rifle performing like an automatic firearm? Yeah, it is, in fact. Unless the ATF said that doing so was illegal as far as, like, bump firing your your rifle like an automatic. Um, which they could. They could at least attempt to, to make that illegal. And then she asks, what about the 1930s machine gun ban? Actually, well, there was law that was passed back in the 30s, but there was also the current, like the most recent ban occurred in 1986. But anyway, she she asked, is there a YouTube loophole of some sort? I don't know how that would, you know, have anything to do with YouTube. Uh, YouTube is free to set policies, of course, which they have done, and, and we've reported on that. She says, this was 2011, seven years before a gunman at a country music festival in Las Vegas used a bump stock to make his shooting spree more effective and deadly, killing 58 people and injuring 851. By the way, there is yet any official report from investigators acknowledging that fact. We believe that's what happened. I wouldn't say that that is for sure what happened or how much uh, a bump stock played into it. We suspect obviously that that was probably what he used. Just I'm just trying to stick with the facts here, okay? And it is a little bit disappointing that a criminal justice researcher at Keene University, Ms. Connie Hassett-Walker, that I've got to kind of, you know, point out that there are some flaws already in some of the things you're writing. However, guys, before you think that I'm just trying to jump all over Connie Hassett-Walker's case, I'm actually applauding her for this article, okay? So I'm not going to quote from this this whole article because it's, it is long, but I would encourage you to go read it, okay? Links, of course, are in the show notes of this episode when it's published on the website, or it's in the comments section of Facebook Live. I've just shared this link uh, with viewers uh, just now, a moment ago. What I appreciate is that she basically makes it clear that she was uneducated as to who gun owners really are and what the gun culture is like. She shares a number of videos in this article and several are, are from Hickok 45, uh, you know, which is appropriate because he really, I do think he really does represent modern gun culture very well. And he's practically like probably the other 
example would be Matt over at Demolition Ranch, but Hickok 45 is like the industry celebrity as far as that goes. You know, he's got 3.2 million, I think, subscribers on YouTube. That's a big deal. Uh, I think Demo Ranch has a, a few more subscribers. But anyway, it's a, just very appropriate that she references Hickok 45 several times in this article uh, as a way to learn about who gun owners are, what the gun culture actually is. Um, she points out that I, I think the, the, the whole gist of this article is to just say, look, gun culture and gun owners are, are maybe not who you think they are. And they're actually average, normal, decent, law-abiding Americans like many of, of Americans on the other side of the gun control debate. And I think the other thing she's trying to get at is if you watch some of these videos, if you're a gun control fanatic, and if you'll watch these videos, it actually changed her opinion about gun owners and about guns in, in this country. Okay, it may not have changed it entirely in a way that you know would align with, with the way I view things, but she had her perspective changed in a significant way to where she, I think she's implying that she was very much more pro-gun control before she began this exercise. And after really assimilating herself into and beginning to try to understand what gun owners in America are truly like, that she now feels like she can identify with those people because they are, in fact, people. They're not just evil machines, automatons that are, you know, they want to keep on or hold on to their guns to shoot places up. Like she sees them more as people. And she makes that point in this article, I think, very well. Uh, her challenge is. And she, she gives two videos, uh, starter videos. One is a video from Hickok 45. Uh, for, and she says that one's for gun control supporters. And then she says for gun rights supporters, she gives another video. That other video she references is some video of a dude that was accosted by law enforcement as he was carrying openly in Portland. All right. And it's an interesting video. You can go see it, whatever. Anyway, I think this is a really great article. I would encourage you to read it. I think she makes some really good points, and I think her hope is is that by the pro-gun control side, educating themselves and being a little bit more familiar about the people on the other side of the issue, that they might be a little bit more willing to come uh, to an understanding or to at least begin to bridge that there is a vast divide between gun control supporters and gun rights supporters. And I think her hope and intent is to try to bridge that divide, and that's a worthwhile cause. All right. And it also goes the other way. I actually spend quite a bit of time watching gun control, you know, supporting videos um, because I'm always trying to understand their side of things. Yeah, obviously I want to uh, show them that they're wrong or whatever, but it's more important that I understand their perspective than it is that I just automatically throw out the, the standard, you know, talking points to counter everything they say. All right, and if we understand one another, then we can actually have a discussion and a conversation, and we're actually far more likely to to convince somebody to come over to your side if you can actually you, you can't do that if you can't bridge that gap in the first place. Comments, guys, any thoughts? Uh, feel free to hit us up at support at concealedcarry.com to share your thoughts with us about whether it's this article or this issue or anything else we've talked about on the podcast today. And those of you on Facebook Live currently right now, of course, I mean, come on, it's been quiet. Too, too quiet. Come on, guys. Help me out. Um, oh, by the way, Jason says, I, and I missed your question. I'm sorry, Jason. Uh, he says, what company makes guns for the government? Lots of companies. Okay, tons of companies, right? There's all, I mean, I, I, I'm not even begin to 
try to give you a comprehensive list because there's, uh, boy, I mean, every major handgun manufacturer in the U.S. pretty much, um, by major, I'm talking Glock, Smith & Wesson, Sig Sauer, uh, even Kimber, um, uh, uh, FN, FN America, um, I know Ruger. I mean, I, there's, there's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the gun companies, right? And especially, specifically handgun manufacturers. All those major manufacturers, I guarantee you, have contracts with law enforcement agencies in various places. Okay. Glock would be the big one. Uh, Smith and Wesson's another big one. And Sig Sauer's the other, you know, like those three are, they comprise uh, a lot. Colt obviously would be another participant, although they've, uh, not so much on the handgun side anymore, obviously. Uh, but certainly on, the patrol rifle side or AR-15, uh, Colt would have contracts with law enforcement agencies and other government agencies for patrol rifles. Uh, Bushmaster, DPMS, um, once again, Sig Sauer would have some of those same contracts. Uh, Ruger would would as well. Um, Daniel Defense. I mean, there's there's tons of companies that have that make guns for the government. Tons. So yeah, that's a it's uh, it's a, it's a big deal. So, and we could, like I said, we could have a major, and I I imagine you're asking that, Jason, because of the discussion we had just a minute ago about the state of New York and and Hornady and their response and, you know, maybe the calls for other companies to jump on that bandwagon. We could have a significant impact on the state of New York if, as an industry, we jumped on the same boat and said, we're not doing business with you. It could make it actually really difficult. Now, I think they would probably still find a way around that, or some other company would jump in and fill that void. They would see an opportunity because you know what, guys. Ultimately, yes, gun companies, we love them. We love the products they provide, and yes, they're they're. I would think they're generally pro Second Amendment, but at the end of the day, they also want to make money because they need to because they're businesses and they have people to support. So it wouldn't surprise me to see some other company that says, you know what, we're willing to do business with the state of New York. We're not going to, you know, we don't believe in the boycott or whatever. And so they would just see that as an opportunity to jump in and snatch up those contracts. It's free market, right? Anyway, and Jason comes back with, your answer is what I expected. My guess, a lot of those companies are backed by banks. Of course, (laughs) there's got to be a bank somewhere involved. Uh, and, And if you'll keep in mind, I think Citigroup in particular, one of the things they're looking at is to try to restrict firearms uh, uh, purchases, like through the use. I mean, r- right at the point of sale, even p- potentially, as far as not allowing uh, credit cards that are issued by Citibank uh, or merchant systems, whatever, being able to process firearms-related transactions. Yeah, they can have a major impact. Um, so, and, and yes, at some point, banks are involved in the industry. So, what will happen once banks stop backing guns? Will the government lose their guns? Well, we know one thing: there's going to be banks out there that aren't going to be involve themselves in the Second Amendment issue. Wells Fargo already made that clear. They said, "Hey, you know what? Second Amendment, you know, it's like why? It's a it's a legal, legitimate industry. We're just not going to be involved." Um, there will be other banks that will take that same approach. So, uh, do I think this is going to, um, go so widespread Jason to where so many banks make it impossible to do business and our second amendment, uh, rights are restricted because of that somehow. I'll tell you if it ever got to that point, once again, free market, it wouldn't surprise me that somebody somewhere creates or starts a bank that would specifically serve, at least in, in large part, the gun industry. Okay? 
I know, uh, you know, I, 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 I just think that would happen eventually. Okay, so, all righty. Next up, we got a, another story. This is our, this is now our justified save segment. Okay, so this story, this first justified save story, is uh, actually I'd, I would just like to say all four. There's four, I think, four stories today. I'm going to share. All four are pretty interesting stories. There's a lot of interesting lessons we can pull from these. This one is reported on the Boston Globe. Uh, this is in Worcester, uh, Massachusetts. And the homeowner there shoots an alleged trespasser after a fight, police say. An alleged trespasser was shot early Sunday during a fight with a Worcester uh, homeowner who was trying to escort the man off his property when the trespasser threatened to shoot him, police said in a statement. The 56-year-old homeowner, a licensed gun owner who was not identified by police, told authorities that he saw a suspicious man dressed in all black and carrying a dark backpack on his bike, testing a car door on 2nd Street before entering the homeowner's side yard, according to the statement from the police. The homeowner believed the man had been trying to break into the car and followed him into the yard carrying a handgun. After confronting the man, a fight broke out between the two as the homeowner tried to escort the man from the property. According to neighbors, the man threatened to shoot the homeowner and reached towards his back waistband, prompting the homeowner to fire several rounds at him at around 12.45 a.m., police said in the statement. The man was hit and fled the scene on foot. About 45 minutes later, 29-year-old Zachary Bailey uh, called officials from nearby Washington Heights to report he had been shot. He was treated for two gunshot wounds, neither of which were life-threatening at the scene before being taken to the hospital for further treatment. He is now, of course, arrested. He has an outstanding warrant for breaking and entering, unconnected with that incident, and he'll be also facing charges related to this, likely to this other incident. Okay? So now a couple of interesting things to note. This happened in Massachusetts, and just based on experience, um, things can sometimes be handled differently. And the, I think the the mindset and the perspective that law enforcement and or prosecutors might have in Massachusetts could be totally different than what you might find in Texas. Uh, but it doesn't appear that any charges will be filed against this man who uh, shot the potential intruder or car thief or whatever on his property. But the first lesson to be learned is this man didn't need to follow this man, the, 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 the suspect, into his yard with a handgun. He didn't need to do that. He could have remained in the home, uh, tried to focus on keeping that secure, and calling authorities and reporting the suspicious acts that he that he witnessed. Okay, so That's the first thing to take away. We've talked about that so many times on the podcast. We will always talk about that because no matter what, I believe that there are uh, those of you out there that maybe this is the first time you're listening to the podcast um, or maybe it just hasn't sunk in yet. But you got to know that if something's going on outside your home that is suspicious or whatever, there's nothing that requires you to go out and confront that individual or whatever is taking place outside the home. And in fact, by so doing, and I'm not saying you don't have the right to do so. Um, you might very well have the right to do that, that sort of thing, depending on the circumstances and depending on where you're located. That's not the issue. It's not a question of rights or the law necessarily. It's a question of you are inviting the opportunity for something bad to happen, regardless if it's to you or to somebody else. I don't care who you are. Like as much as I, as much as I despise bad people that do bad things to other people or to good people and would, and would love to see all those bad things and all those bad people stopped. Uh, it, 
doesn't mean I, it doesn't automatically mean that I want to see something bad happen to that bad person. Like that I want to be that individual that goes out there and shoots a man dead because they're breaking the law or they've, you know, uh, in some way, like they've threatened me outside my home. If I didn't have to go out there in the first place, then maybe it's best, best just, just to stay put and be a good witness and call 911. Okay. Number, no matter what, no matter what the law says, no matter what the issue is, no matter what, if the issue is outside of the home or even if it's inside your home and you are in your bedroom, no matter what, when you leave your safe space, <laughs> when you leave that safe place to go and investigate or to go and confront or to go and stop or to see what's going on, no matter what, you automatically increase your personal liability and risk in a variety of ways. That's the number one lesson to be learned from so many of the stories that we share on the Concealed Carry podcast. Now, this isn't the, this isn't the justified saves segment. This guy stopped something bad from happening to him. He got into an altercation with this man, and the man it appeared was going to grab a weapon and threat you know and and hurt the homeowner. So the homeowner responded and shot him. All right, he saved the day. He saved himself potentially. But the number one lesson is that it might not have had to come to that in the first place. And yes, I'm glad the guy got caught, right? And justice will be served. But no matter what, you automatically increase your risk, whether your physical risk, your financial risk, legal risk, all this stuff is all automatically increased dramatically when you go to the source of the problem. Can't get away from that fact, all right? You do what you feel like you got to do, but risk is increased. Just understand it. If you decide to go to the source of the problem, you got to accept the consequences. All righty. Um, actually, I failed to share the link to that story, guys. I apologize. I'll, um, I'll see if I can pull that up here in a second. Next story. Woman. This is in Memphis, Tennessee. Woman sees husband in trouble, pulls out gun on would-be robber. I, this is a great story. Uh, number one, because the wife comes to, you know, the husband's aid. I, I love that. All right. That's great. I mean, I would hope that my wife would do the same thing for me. And we've got video that goes along with this and video is always great. In fact, those of you viewing on Facebook, I'm going to go ahead and play this video now. Okay. As I talk about the story. So what happened was that uh, a man allegedly tried to rob three people and video apparently does not want to play. I checked it out earlier and it totally worked. So maybe it's not going to work for us today. Uh, what you'd see, and you do see on the screen an image of a man. He's got his, his hands up. This is this is the alleged uh, robber. Okay, uh, pol- police are searching for a man who allegedly tried to rob three people outside a Whitehaven home in broad daylight. A surveillance camera captured the the weekend incident. The victim said a man pulled a gun on them after asking for a phone and then a ride. Moments later, he learned he wasn't the only one carrying a gun. So this man had a gun. Okay. A man told Fox 13 his niece took his gun, and you actually see her just, she, and I got the video to work, and you just saw her come into the frame, and she sort of waved the gun at the man. Uh, it, the man told the news that his niece took his gun and scared off a bold criminal. She's bold. She ain't scared of nothing. In the video, the suspect had his right hand in his waistband as he stands between or behind the victim's nephew. The victim said the man's hand was on a gun. People are so bold now, days just broad daylight on a Sunday, come up to you and try robbing you. The victim said, 
Memphis police said Sunday afternoon the man in the blue jacket came to the White Haven home and asked to use one of the victim's phones and then asked for a ride. I know I already read that. Well, it's, they, they're recapping it here. Um, the incident happened outside in the front of the home. Crazy stuff. Yeah, that's a. I, I just like that story. I like it because it's a hap, You know, it ends. It ends happily. No shots had to be fired. That's always a plus. Okay, that's another thing. Back to what we were talking about a moment ago. Anytime you leave a safe place to go to the source of the problem, you automatically increase your personal risk and liability. Anytime you have to fire shots is the second opportunity to also dramatically increase personal risk and liability. All right. If we can resolve a situation without having to fire shots, then that's always better than situations where we need to fire shots. Um, in this case, a robber gets re- arrested. He's charged. Justice will be served. People's lives are potentially saved or protected uh, because a woman was able to arm herself and do a good thing. And that's what we're passionate about here at the podcast. And the fact that she's able to do that without firing a shot, that's always a bonus. Next up, and Tristan, thank you for checking in uh, from South, uh, South, I think you got to, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing South Carolina. Anyway, appreciate you checking into the podcast, buddy. Uh, with our next story, 911 call from gas station robbery shooting. This is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Detectives with the Fayetteville Police Department have identified the victim and suspects in a Wednesday night shooting at a gas station on Cedar Creek Road. The suspects have been identified as David Glenn Perry, 19, and Noah Lee Rousey, 19, as well. Okay. Two masked robbers went into the five-star BP near Interstate 95 about 9.50 p.m. The clerk, identified as Bassam Alberetti, 29, equipped himself with his own firearm and fired towards the robbers, striking one of them police said. The pair then left the store. A short time later, a 911 dispatcher got a call from someone at a home who said they were shot. A recording of the 911 call made by Perry's mother was released Thursday afternoon by the Fayetteville police. In the call, the woman talks in a frantic voice trying to talk to Perry and listen to the dispatcher. I actually am going to play back just a piece of this call. And so here you go. Allen County 911, what's the address of the I need, I need uh, 911 here. My son's been shot. Okay, ma'am. What's the address? You know that, David? Ma'am, ma'am, what's the address? Edmund, Cedar Creek Road. Okay. Is that near Antelope Street? Yes. Phone number that you're calling from, ma'am? Verify your name. Your name, ma'am? Turn around. Let me see. She's telling her son to turn around so she can see his gunshot wounds. Ma'am. Ma'am? Yeah. Where was he shot at? Yes. In the back. In the back? Yes. He won't show it to me. All I know, he was with his friend, and they, I was asleep on the couch. Okay, and how, and how old is he, ma'am? Ma'am, how old is he? Holly? Oh, ma'am? Hold on. Yes. He's 30? Is he? How old is he? He is 19 years old. 19? Yes. Is he awake? He's 19. His name is David Perry. Okay, is he awake? Yes, he is. Is he breathing? Yes, he is breathing, but he's in pain. Okay. When did this happen? Just a few minutes ago. I saw he was, he was okay. with a friend. Is the assailant still nearby? Is what? 
Was the attacker still, still nearby? No, I, he don't know who shot him. He I don't know. Nothing. He okay. don't remember nothing. All right, I'm going to stop it there. So, you know, I like this 911 call because, I mean, you got a mother, obviously, and she's concerned about her son. She has no idea, no concept, no idea, you know, no understanding as to why this has happened or where it's happened or how it's happened or who did what to her son. All she knows is her son is shot. And you even hear, obviously, you got to think about this in terms of the perspective from the dispatcher. They All he knows, they get a call from a mother whose son has been shot. And so, of course, he's going to be asking about, well, where's the assailant? Where's the attacker? Are they still there? Are they nearby? You know, who is it? And so forth. The reality is her son is shot by a guy protecting himself, a, a store clerk, from her son who was robbing him with a weapon. A weapon was involved, if you read the full details of the story. And so when she questions her son, she asks him, hey, how did it happen? Where did it happen? What's going on? Uh, what you know? He His response every time to her, his mother is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know what happened. I just got shot. You know, it's almost like he's trying to play off the, the fact that I got shot. I blacked out. I panicked. Something, you know, but mentally I, I, I don't remember what happened because it was this terrible thing that happened. I don't know. Like you could just kind of really feel for this mother and I feel bad for her in that way uh, because sadly for her, her son is uh, is a felon and is going to be going to jail. He was arrested and charged. Uh, he's lucky he survived. So anyway, uh, good good on this store clerk for taking into his own hands his personal safety and protection. Uh, he was ready that day. I don't know what ready means necessarily in his context, but he was ready enough to defend himself from two armed robbers. He fired shots. He wounded them both. Uh, they went to the hospital. They were arrested. They're going to jail. It's another justified save for the record. There you have it. Good story. Final story. This is reported on the Sacramento Bee. Okay. Uh, S-A-C-B-E-E dot com. And uh, the story goes, he tried, to fought, he tried to buy an iPhone via Facebook. Now he's glad he brought a gun to the deal. Now this is on, Sacramento, on the Sacramento Bee, which is a California publication. But the story actually happened in Richardson, Texas. Or actually, excuse me, in Fort Worth. The, the, one of the men, men involved, Roberto Rodriguez, is from Richardson, Texas, which is in the Fort Worth area. Now, he said he wanted an affordable iPhone for his 11-year-old daughter, so he turned to Facebook Marketplace. He had no idea before the exchange was over that he'd have to shoot two people. While Rodriguez was at an Easter party with his family on April 1st, he thought he'd found the right deal. $175 for an iPhone 7. All right. I'm going to pause right there, guys. I've done some Facebook you know, deals or Craigslist, you know, buys, whatever. Okay. And that, I have a series, a set of rules that I follow. Uh, number one though, if somebody has a phone, an iPhone seven, still pretty new, right? It's got to cost, that's still got to be worth $400 at least. I would say, you know, straight up, like just, to, just to buy an iPhone, an iPhone seven, 175 bucks. That's your first clue. Way too cheap, man. Way. There's something wrong there. Okay. Yeah, I've passed like yeah, you see those deals on Craigslist and you go, wow, that's amazing. That's a that's a oh, that's a crazy good deal. And you want to jump at it. But you got to pass some of that stuff up because it's a scam. It's somebody that's going to try to set you up for a, a robbery or something. I don't know. I, I this this doesn't happen that often. 
but it's there's something wrong with that deal if you see something that's too good to be true on Craigslist or on Facebook Marketplace. Okay, number one clue, dude. So he and his wife, Fernanda, took their three kids to the East Fort Worth apartment complex the seller directed him toward. I was about to go. Yeah, Tristram says, Spidey sense tingling. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The man says, I was about to go alone. I should have gone alone. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. They arrived about 8 p.m. at the Asher Apartments between Randall Mill Road Road and Interstate 30, where an 18-year-old named Otis Lenoy was waiting for him in the parking lot. When he got out of his SUV, Lenoy and three other men attacked him, punching, kicking, and dragging him to the rear of his vehicle while Fernanda and the kids watched, horrified. Roberto managed to crawl back to the car where he kept a cheap little high point .380 in the door. One of those throwaway guns. I'm pretty sure their plan was to rob me completely, Roberto said, like steal my SUV and my wallet. Keep in mind who else was in the vehicle, his wife and three kids. He's... He had $1,800 in his wallet, he says, because earlier I wanted to buy a money order to pay rent but didn't get a chance. He got a hold of his gun and fired five to seven shots as he wrestled with his attackers, wounding two of them while another ran from the scene. He also shot a hole in the door of his car. And if you're viewing this on Facebook, you can actually see the image of that hole in his car door right here. Uh, I would imagine that... Uh, you know, he got back to the door and he began firing at his attackers and probably was following them, uh, or he just didn't realize the door got in the way. It's very easy to do, right? You're in a adrenaline pumping, uh, you know, super crazy situation, and you lose sight of periphery. You're tunnel focused. You're threat focused, and a door is irrelevant to that. So that's something that's a good lesson to be learned from this. That it's your, your chances are you might not even see that door or door frame. I mean, he did just shoot it kind of on the edge, right? Um, during that uh, scrum, or that scrum, it says uh, this uh, this attack. His wife Fernanda grabbed a twelve inch screwdriver from the vehicle and attacked one of them as well. So she was also trying to fight back. Good on her. Um, her eleven year old was screaming. He says he she was shaking him. She was shaking for hours after that. It says uh, she. She thought, the 11-year-old daughter thought they were going to die. Okay, crazy story, right? They ultimately caught these guys. Uh, I think there's still one they're looking for, but they got three out of the four individuals that were involved. Rodriguez says, I'm so thankful for the Second Amendment, but people also need to watch out on these exchanges from Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. It's not always safe. And the article points out that many local police stations are designated safe exchange locations for people meeting to buy and sell such items. I have done that before. I have met people at a police station for uh, an exchange. And I'll tell you what, if someone is uncomfortable meeting you at a police station, and sometimes fire stations are also uh, designated, but usually it's a police station. Uh, But if someone's uncomfortable meeting you there, um, that's also spidey sense, tingling, something's wrong, don't go through with that deal. Even if that person tries very hard to persuade you to change the location, you know, when it's a situation like this, they're going to try to get you in a in a in a location and in a situation where they're the comfortable ones, where they have the advantage that makes it easy for them to take advantage of you and attack you. This is not the first Craigslist or Facebook deal gone wrong that we shared on the podcast. We've, we've talked about it before. I've shared a lot of the same tips and suggestions. Uh, Tristan com- comments that yes, in a well lit public place, at the very least, that that is 
uh, important, you know, and something that, I mean, I, I don't always meet people at a police station to do a deal. Uh, but if, but I do meet people in well-lit public places, uh, and I try to make sure I control the variables that I know where, where we're meeting, what the situation, what the circ, what the surroundings are like. Um, and I actually have arrived to, uh, to do a, a meetup, to do a buy. Uh, it's, I feel like I'm talking about buying drugs or something. <laughs> Keep in mind, guys, I used to run a construction business and I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deal hound. And especially when I had my business, you know, I needed to buy tools. I need to buy table saws, miter saws, you know, all this stuff. Right. And, you know, something would break, you need to replace it. And if I could find a good quality tool for half the cost, that's what I was going to do. And so most, so many Craigslist and Facebook deals uh, that I participated in uh, was back from my construction business days where I was just trying to get the tools I needed for a reasonable price. Um, use common sense, be smart about it, follow these, these suggestions. Jason comments. Now our police station has an online meat spot. It's well lit and has a camera. Yeah. It's a very simple thing to do. So anyway, there you have it. That wraps up our stories for today. Uh, several really excellent, uh, lesson filled, justified save stories. I hope that was helpful for you. Um, I hope that you will all stay safe, that you will try to avoid that. That's always the number one thing is first avoiding the trouble in the first place. Avoid going to places that attract trouble and troublemakers. Uh, avoid uh, dark, not well lit locations and and whatever it is. Don't go to the bad parts of town if you can ha- if you can uh, uh, afford not to. I know sometimes. Uh, I mean, in my job as a construction uh, business, I had to sometimes go do construction projects in parts of town that were not always the best parts of town. But you try to use common sense. And make sure you carry your gun and make sure you're well-trained and prepared to defend yourself if need be. So, and Tristan just commented uh, that he bailed once on a deal that was just way too sketchy. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have not gone through with, with a deal because some, you know, the spidey sense. And uh, some so often for me, by the way, guys, and I, I know I've shared this before, I'll share it again. So often for me, it's the communication between me and the seller or buyer or whatever is going on, right? And the communication, I think, you really got to read between the lines. And if someone doesn't, if they, I, I have had hints, you know, dropped at me through a text message or through an email that goes, this dude is shady. Like there's something wrong here. You got to be able, you got to be paying attention. Look closely at communication that you exchange with people. If you're going to do these kind of things and bail out on the deal when it just doesn't feel right. Okay. Good stuff. A reminder that our sponsors of today's episode are Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. Many of you are, are already members. Uh, we sometimes advertise it as the fastest growing organization or membership uh, for gun owners out there, it, it actually is probably not far from the truth. Uh, presently, there are probably about a dozen of you every day joining Guardian Nation, and we really appreciate you. Thank you for believing in us, giving us a try, checking it out. I know it's a commitment. It's a financial commitment. Um, it's also a commitment, hopefully, too, that you take your safety and personal well-being and, and, and personal defense seriously, and that also of your families, that you are taking your training seriously, that you're taking your practice sessions seriously, that you're doing everything you can to educate yourself. 
uh, that you're following along the, with the podcast, with the articles that we post, with the members-only videos and the members-only area uh, that we're constantly adding videos to uh, on a regular basis. We got some more coming here very soon. Some some you know training videos. Uh, it's it is a commitment. And it, and it is a financial commitment, but it comes with a great deal of amazing benefits. One of those benefits I, hi- I highlighted earlier, 10% off straight up. If you, if you don't yet qualify, if you haven't hit yet hit your one-year anniversary and you get uh, a your, your gift certificate for um, discount off of or free training from, from us or from one of our in-network instructors, um, you still get 10% off. That's that, that adds up as well. So everything on sale in our store, our training courses, whatever. I hope that you'll, uh, if you're able to, if you're in the Denver, Colorado area or anywhere nearby, if you're within a few hours drive, or maybe you're willing to fly in, uh, we'd love to have you join us on February, or excuse me, February, May 17th to the 19th in the Denver, Colorado area. It's a range out east where we teach these, these courses for our Triple Guardian three-day defensive pistol course, uh, Guardian Essentials Pistol, Guardian Standards Pistol, and Guardian Breakthrough Pistol. Three days of fantastic training. We have two spots reserved for educators for free as part of National Train-A-Teacher Day. If you happen to be an educator and you would like to be in those three days of training, send us a message. Uh, you can email us at support at concealedcarry.com. You can drop a message in Facebook. One way or another, that'll get to me. I will coordinate with you, uh, get proof that you are, in fact, an educator and so forth. And uh, you can join us for those three days at no cost. We have two, only two spots av- available, unfortunately. So <clears throat> anyway... You can head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash May 2018 Guardian for uh, details on that three-day course. So concealedcarry.com forward slash May 2018 Guardian. That's M-A-Y 2018 G-U-A-R-D-I-A-N. And that that's, uh, that'll, that's a link that'll shortcut your way right over to um, the page where you can learn about uh, the three-day course. So hope to see you there. Come join us. So with that, uh, we are going to sign off. We'll see you here on Thursday. Uh, Later that evening, Jacob and I fly away to Dallas, Texas, where we'll be attending the the NRA annual meetings this weekend. Uh, We'll be there the whole weekend. And if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you want to come say hello, come see us at the NRA annual meeting uh, at the, what is the expo center there? Anyway, I, I don't remember what it's called now all of a sudden, but we'll see you there. Uh, at least we hope to. So come, come, come say hello. We'll be recording. I know for a fact that we are recording podcast episodes, a couple of them, at the Fioki Ammunition booth on Saturday. So you can find us at Fioki on Saturday. I don't remember the booth number. I'll I'll make sure we get those details in the next episode. Uh, so and then we'll be recording some more on Sunday, but not Fioki somewhere else. Um, we're still finalizing those details. So with that, we hope to see you this weekend, or we hope to see you in our upcoming Triple Guardian pistol course. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Be safe out there. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.